that ain't gonna happen here. And listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 81, and my name's Jakub. My name's Nick. And I'm Randy. And today, we have a special guest with us, um, who has been with us before, and now he's back for some more Travolta action, because last time we also talked about a Travolta film, among other things, because we, we did two episodes with him. So, uh, a warm welcome to Cordero Mesnerich. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's glad to be back. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Now, so, well, August continues. <laughs> uh, so last week we did Hard Target. It was great. Greasy mullet time. <laughs> Before we start, by the way, let's just quick plug. By the time you're listening to this, um, the uh, JCVD retrospective, uh, well, JCVD slash Hong Kong filmmakers retrospective is app available on the Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. Three movies were talked about. I wasn't there for this, but the guys held the fort. Heck so, yeah. Uh, you know it. So, and these guys talked about maximum risk, double team, and knockoff. So, quality, quality cinema. Uh, so, go, and, go on our Patreon. Three bucks a month buys you access to everything else and this uh, on our Patreon. And on top of this, because August continues, we're guys also going to be uh, recording a bonus tie-in episode, um, tying into this sort of this series when we'll be talking about arguably the biggest hit John Woo has ever had, which is Hard Boiled, and also as a continuation of our 2022 David Lynch marathon, we're going to be talking about Lost Highway this month. And actually, while we're at it, might as well quickly remind you: until the end of August, the uh, Firewalk with Me episode of the uh, David Lynch Marathon is available for free on our Patreon. So patreon.com slash uncutgemspod is where you want to go to listen to our extra shit. <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. So meanwhile, let's just let's just let's just talk about some movies. How about that? And then since we're doing John Woo films that he did in Hollywood and we started with Hard Target, it's only natural that we're going to be continuing with Broken Arrow. in the wrong codes. Pretty soon these things are going to be absolutely useless. Might as well turn around and drive away. Outstanding, Hale. That's the spirit. Damn, I'm totally screwed now. Unless, of course, I already thought of that ahead of time. What? You're kidding. Didn't work, did it? I used uncoded circuit boards. You just activated a nuclear warhead, my friend. Setting off a nuke in this mine's been part of my plan from day one. Otherwise, some DC civilian might say, I haven't got the guts. He's insane. You know, Hale, I considered bringing you in on this. You know I didn't? Because I would have said no. Nah, if you had said no, I'd have just killed you. I was afraid you were going to say yes. Because you don't have the balls to go through with something like this. We both know that. Broken Arrow was released in 1996. 
of course directed by John Woo and stars John Travolta, Christian Slater, Samantha Mattis. I might as well mention Dale Rayland though. <laughs> Just because why not? Uh, and it's a uh, propulsive action thriller about two army pilots have to, f- to face off pun intended um, when one of them decides to betray the country and, and then steal nuclear bombs that they are transporting during an exercise mission in an experimental stealth bomber that looks vaguely like a B2 but they call it a B3 so I don't know, you tell me anyway, so just a quick spiel um, after Speed was released, Graham Hughes who actually wrote the uh, script for Speed also had another script, actually had more, two more he had a script for this, Broken Arrow and, and, a, and a script called The Flood which became uh, Hard Rain, also starring Christian Slater. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and uh, so after Speed became a massive success, guys in Fox were like, dudes, like we really need to cash in on this. So we need an, a- an action thriller. Let's do this. So this script, this script was greenlit, fast-tracked into production and, and things started happening. Also, John Travolta was massively shit-hot after Pulp Fiction, so he got tapped into this immediately, alongside a director named Dwight Little. Um, what did he do? I think he did Free Willy, didn't he? I think so. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So he was supposed to direct this, the, uh, and then he decided to to tap out because um, someone decided to, uh, to to green light a sequel to Free Willy, Free Willy 2, no, <laughs> obviously, right? And he was like, I'm going I'm to go and direct this because this is going to be a massive success because the first one was a massive success. So um, definitely this is the better of two films to go for. So he decided not to do Broken Arrow and then this this is how it kind of just ended up in John Woo's lap who was just about kind of just, I don't know, uh, done with Hard Target. Uh, yeah, so they uh, they hired Christian Slater and then he, who actually turned down Assassins to work with John Woo because like, can I, I can work with John Woo. Just let me just drop whatever it is. And he quit smoking for this, by the way, because he wanted Bless to do his own stunt. Uh, Helen Hunt was apparently offered the role of the park ranger that went uh, to oh. Samantha Mattis, but she turned it down for Twister. Apparently, uh. Jennifer, Jen, yeah, Jennifer Aniston was was uh, was offered the role as well, or maybe mm. considered. And Halle Berry, interesting. This is this is interesting. Whether Halle Berry was apparently interested in this role, and then the Fox guys told her no. This isn't this isn't the nineties, and this is the this is Hollywood. They told her no because apparently, and I quote, there are no black park rangers. So the realism would suffer. Just, I have, I had, I have no words for this. Anyway. Speechless. <laughs> yeah. So apparently the legend has it that sort of the movie suffered quite a lot of uh, meddling. Well, well, even more than Hard Target. So John Wood turned in like a two-hour script and they trimmed it down to size. Again, and the whole thing was shot on location with uh, with real stunts, and Christian Slater was doing his own stunts, and I think uh, I don't know John Travolta probably as well. Uh, and then yeah, the film was released to um, I think it was it was a reasonable box office success, 150 mil on 50 million dollar budget. So it made it made its money back, and then yep. how, however critically it was kind of just a mixed bag. And this is I mean we talked about this right. This is the only time where Gene Siskel yes. changed his mind and he just flipped his thumb like. Hawking Phoenix and Gladiator, just because yes. <laughs> <'cause>, uh, <laughs> Roger Ebert nagged him and just said like, "This is shit. Why are you liking this?" <laughs> so, That's mobbing so, right there, Roger. Just, he got bullied into not into not liking this. So, 
the film's kind of mixed and then i'm not sure what the status of it is uh, whether it's a cold classic or not i know the score is a bit of a cold classic i hope we're gonna get to this but in the meantime let's just enough me, of me talking and let's hear from <laughs> our guest cordero what do you think about broken arrow well i think i i, I watched um hard target to kind of get a feel for it because i hadn't seen that before and i hadn't seen this either um until i watched it so to kind of get a feel for Wu's american films obviously i'm, a, I'm familiar with face off and and the like mission impossible 2 but yeah this was this was kind of a, a bit of a different beast especially coming off of hard target um it feels like Wu's a little more acclimated to hollywood at this point but I don't know. At the same time, it feels like like the first half of this movie feels like he's almost nullified. Like, I I came in expecting a lot more than what I got. I'm I'm really happy with what I got, but it wasn't until about the second half, till they get to about the mine, where I thought, hey, this is really going somewhere. Like, I'm really enjoying this ride. It's it's spectacular. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm iffy on John Travolta. Like, I really enjoy him in this role, but. I, whenever, whenever I looked at some complaints and I was like, okay, I do agree with all of these complaints, even though I really like how he, how he comes across here, but I don't know. It's, it's, it kind of riffs off those like Tom Clancy kind of adaptations, but fun, you know, like actually setting out to have a good time. And I appreciate that a lot, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I really enjoy it, but I can totally understand why people who aren't into woo specifically but also these kind of like i don't know action harbingers uh would just not have a good time with it at all but i'm curious what you guys think because this yes this isn't necessarily well received right now you know right now i don't know okay let's just hold i'll hold my horses for this (laughs) roundy give give us your take all right yes so I've seen this film a number of times. I saw this in theaters. Um, Jakob, you alluded to it. It came at a very interesting time in Travolta's career because he uh, was, you know, really, really hot following Pulp Fiction and then Get Shorty. And I hope we talk a little bit about his career because this, in what I was looking at, this is one of the most successful. Travolta 96 is one of the most successful uh, box office years for an actor in a lead role. Um, so it's very interesting because he is super hot at this time because this this film made quite a bit of uh, coin. But anyway, I have seen this and I've always ever been somewhat on the fence. So Cordero, you your reaction, totally get it. And when I have read other reviews and, and I see the grumbling about it, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of there for that. I sort of ag- agree, but I've always ever been on the fence. And my problems have always been uh, this film lacks a bit of an emotional core, at least a strong emotional core, which I would argue is there in Hard Target in, in a way. Like, you know, you've got the, the themes of uh, the, the lost father and the homeless people. Like, that resonates a bit more than the emotional core here. Uh, you know, you've got... I know. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, it's like, well, it has a social commentary about this well, homelessness and I, veterans and whatever. And then, you know, like a strikes and, and like, this is a stretch. Like you're reading into hard target yeah. white. Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> Boo. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to. It's sort of like a Godard film. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, I, I'm not going to go very far down that particular alley, but here I would say that that emotional depth is a bit less, even still. You've got this uh, Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater relationship sort of met, and I, I think that Wu wants that to be a bit more. You've got the Travolta and Slater frenemy thing, and that's sort of rooted in the types of loyalty issues that you get in a lot of Hong Kong cinema, so I, I get the appeal to Wu in that. However, so there's there's a lot of stuff that isn't for me as strong as it should be. But having said that, this is a great looking movie. This is a great sounding movie. This is solid action. This is something that I can watch over and over. And Wu, again, through his framing and different shot compositions, that awesome slow-mo, he makes his actors look good always. The gunplay is fun. So, yeah, I love this. I think this is the screening. I've seen this three or four times. This is sort of my watch where I said, I got to check certain inhibitions at the door. And this, yes, is totally a, a, a plus in the, the, Wu, the Wu column. It's a plus. And further to that, I'd say it's interesting behind the scenes because Wu is adapting even more to Hollywood at this point. So, like, he's embracing a bit of uh, special effects, which he didn't really deal with too much. In fact, that's one of the things that sort of enticed him uh, about this project was he got to sort of play around and learn special effects. I think he's also uh, getting a bit bigger into uh, bigger budgets, bigger set pieces. And while he still gets to stay in somewhat the same thematic territories as Hong Kong movies with the morally twisted uh, brothers in arms uh, and that relationship. So, yeah, I'm cool with this. I do like the script. And I just recently found out that the this, the screenwriter, Graham Yoss, this was uh, right after Speed. That makes sense because this film rocks because of inertia and momentum sort of in the same way that Speed does. Like it's just move, 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 move. And it it works for me on the whole. And I'm, I'm actually quite excited about it despite a few shortcomings and I appreciate any reservations anyone has about it, but I, yeah, I think I am now totally 100% on board. Oh, wow, fabulous. Strong words. Now, Nicole, tell us. Is it a woo or a boo? <laughs> nice. He's <laughs> been waiting all week. It's <laughs> No, it's, you know, is Broken Arrow as memorable and iconic as Hard Target? No. But it is way more consistent. Broken Arrow, I really enjoy. And I enjoyed it even when I first saw it like four years ago by now. Um, it's not one of my favorite John Woo's. I would be shocked if it's anyone's like top three of his entire filmography. But despite being a lesser work from him, I agree with everything that Randy and Cordero said. It's fun. It's exciting. It's a film that keeps on moving. It has so many wonderfully silly moments that are just shot and directed with so much earnestness that they end up being endearing. The, the, I don't know what happened to Hans Zimmer for crafting that main theme. It seems like it fits to another movie completely. It's so odd, like having characters being introduced over it. But it's, it, it all ends up adding to the entertainment factor of this film. Um and especially really enjoy the way it's structured. To me, all it needs to be just tighter and more exciting and better is remove everything about the bureaucrats. Remove the FBI, the Army, like all of that oh, nonsense. I no, no, no. <laughs> Delroy Lindo, no one cares. We love you, but like wasted, wasted role here. 
remove all of that and you get a tight, mean, lean 90-minute action film with some tremendous set pieces in here. And and I honestly, Travolta is a lot of fun, but I really like Christian Slater. He's one of those actors over the past like four or five years. I've really ended up loving him. I think he's been incredibly underutilized and is very underrated in the industry as a whole. And watching something like this, I'm kind of like, you know what? He's not your typical action lead, but he works. And yeah, there's, there's some good stuff to talk about in here. Awesome. I'll I'll try and make it quick. Before I, be, I don't know, might as well mention this, but I hope I, I hope we'll we'll get to this later. I made a note when I was watching this. Speaking of score, and you're like, how how did Hans Zimmer come up with this? And I was just think think to myself like, this score is like Navajo Joe. Like this this tune, and then like I'm I'm scrolling through IMDb trivia to kind of just fish out some notes for for today, and it says it turns out that Hans Zimmer was specifically inspired to make to make an ode to uh, Ennio Morricone's work <laughs> with Sergio Leone. <laughs> uh, so, nice. so it's all like, connected. It's all connected, baby. And actually, we'll get to spaghetti western connections in a second. But anyway, I'll just say. I've seen this a number of times. I haven't seen this in the cinema. I saw it. Maybe I did. Maybe I did see it in the cinema. Anyway, oh. but I do like it quite a bit. I do say, I will I will say that there is a time in this film that there's like a 10 minute in the middle where it's so easy to fall asleep. Just if you, It's like Dune where, just, where they are in a cave and you're just... <laughs> just I'm done. Yeah, what uh, happens? So, so there is there is a moment where this film loses sort of focus for for like exactly like five to ten minutes and you just think to yourself like yeah exactly just something needs to be taken out for for the pacing to kind of just it remain snappy because otherwise it really cooks like I really like this film and then I will say that you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a little quite a bit more than say when you're watching Hard Target I'm not gonna opine over Face Off because then there you have to suspend your disbelief quite a bit more even than that. Um, but overall, this is just a solid action film. And, I, and again, like this is this is me finding myself. I really appreciate Roger Ebert, but this guy was so wrong sometimes. And, then, and now he actually makes me dislike Cisco because Cisco was a puss puss, and he was just like, "Oh, fine, Roger, you win." <laughs> just what are you people talking about? This is opera, but this is ballet. This is what it is. Like it's not. This film doesn't take place in any tangible reality whatsoever this is this is taking place in the mind of john woo exactly and I'm, i know he's kind of acclimated to the hollywood and this is going to make an appearance of special effects but but, but this is uh, the this, cinematic universe yeah there but then also not a single dove i don't think man no don't don't spoil my top three worst moments <laughs> oh jesus so, <laughs> so i've got i've got other notes Dang but it. anyway but anyway the film for me is just an easy comfort watch like i can put it on and just do some ironing this is like a roland emmerich sort of disaster film that i can just put on i know it by heart and it's just great and it feels the way i like my movies as in it's made with actual actors doing their own stunts and it's corny and it's cheesy and just take and then while and it's corny and cheesy because it's taking itself super seriously and, in, and only i think john travolta is in a universe of his own because he kind of feels like he's just humming it up a little bit sp- sort of specifically but everyone else is trying to play it straight and it looks corny and he's just on a different planet he's like jared leto in house of gucci sort of level of <laughs> <laughs> 
ain't it cool man <laughs> it's just it's great uh that line actually ain't it cool the uh the website ain't it cool news that's where they got that there you oh, go yeah. hmm. an inspiring um, movie also <clears throat> also uh, if, if i may god damn what a rush that's just yes <laughs> that's in my notes <laughs> well my second favorite scene dang <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's spoiling he's, everyone's top list. Go, go forward for all the top, out, top, but... top moments. <laughs> no, but I really like this film. I know it has flaws, and I know you kind of have to just squint just halfway through it throughout because it just makes zero sense whatsoever. And I know that there's, there are moments <laughs> where it's take it's trying to be a little bit self-aware. I think we got ourselves a standoff. You know, it's, so I'll, I'll just put it this way, but. I know what I feel about this movie, and I know what, where you guys stand. I think, Cordero, you've kind of alluded to this, that what is the stature of this movie? Just before we kind of get into the sort of meat and, gr- meat and grit of this whole film as, a, as, as what it is, let's just kind of just go from the outer shell first and just, like, what's the cultural sort of uh, capital that this movie's accrued? Like, I don't know, something like Face Off, we'll, we'll get to it next week. We know it's a... It's it, it's a bona fide cult classic. It's 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 almost a meme, right? Mm. Where is this movie stand? Like, is this is is this a properly uh, an uncut gem material, which is just like no one gives a shit about, and only but us. So, where do you guys stand on this? Yeah, what, what's, like what's the thinking. This is how I've always seen the film because, like John Woo, I knew him by fame before actually delving into his work back in like 2016, 2017. And they started with the Chinese films because everyone was talking about, you know, the American films suck. But then I saw the Mission Impossible too, and I was faced and I was like, I'm going to watch them all. Why not? Might as well. Uh, <laughs> and not, not not to spoil future episodes, but like I, 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 I think people are way too harsh on these films. Definitely way, way too harsh. And I, I legitimately never heard anyone talk about Broken Arrow outside of the <laughs> the death of John Travolta that we'll get to, which is infamous. I've got plenty of notes for this, by the way. I've broken down this scene. Oh, never mind. We'll get to it. Like shot by shot. <laughs> Not shot by shot, but just thematically. I've got I've got thi- I've got things to say. Um, <laughs> like I've only heard it reference in regards to that final moment, which probably cropped up on like top ten worst endings or some stupid list like that um and i i don't know man like i didn't make the list you know people can't (laughs) have fun and and the other times it's just as as running it down it's like he made some terrible films while in hollywood like broken arrow like paycheck like wind talkers all movies that no one talks about when you talk about john Woo, except negatively so I'm, i'm i'm happy we're doing this you know Shining some light on some uncut gems, as as we do every week. Cordero, what's what's your thinking? Because you you kind of sort of alluded to this as well that you're just uh, that it's a little bit hated. Is that what you think as well, or is it just this like do, do, is there a movement against John Travolta? In here? <laughs> There's always a movement against John Travolta. Um, I mean, no, he's I... a Scientologist a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So... And he made a uh, Gotti in the Fanatic, so we can't forgive him for that. Um. I, I, I think it, it it just doubles back to people, they don't know how to, I don't know, hedge their expectations when it comes to something like this. You you walk into a John Woo movie, um, and you know I and I just listened to uh, the Hard Target 
uh, podcast earlier, and I so I don't want to steal the line, but I guess I'm going to. You know, it's not Shakespeare, right? This isn't like <laughs> yeah. this isn't high art. The overarching sort of theme in here. <laughs> it's not high art. It's it's just fun. It's just silly, goofy fun, and and it starts off in a boxing match. You're like, you know, I mean, in a you know a fun for fun boxing match, but you're just like, isn't this about like a stealth pilot and thermonuclear weapons? Why are we here? And that's the that's just the fun of woo. It's just he puts you in kind of these like insane situations that are just not plausible. But I mean, although I, I, I this one's more plausible, like I said, than something like face off. But <laughs> I don't know. It's people just don't know how to have fun. You know, people go into they go into certain movies and they give them all these they, they give certain movies limitations and then they let other movies movies they really like. You know, they can break all the rules. They can do whatever they want. But it seems like they don't carry that same energy to everything they watch, which is, I mean, it, to be honest, it's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. But see, this is this is an interesting wrinkle when you say that there will be. Uh, I, I want to dig into this logic a little bit. I don't know, guys, chip in as well. But then um, there will be people who who would um, I don't know extend. They will suspend their disbelief for any old shit. Like they will say. It's natural that Thor has a hammer that no one can lift, and but he can just put it on a rack, and then no one, nothing happens, right? Like they will just, of course, there is a there is a magic box that does X, Y, and Z, and then Iron Man can lift it or something like. And like yeah, they will, they will just have explanations for for horseshit everywhere else that they, that they that they, I don't know, in films that they want to enjoy. Uh, whereas, so why why not extend the same courtesy to something like this? And I, I don't know, is this because? The film supposedly is the expectation that this film is supposed to aspire to some kind of a modicum of realism. I think, just as as you guys are talking, I I wonder if what's going on in the '90s is, and we we've talked about the '90s quite a bit, that we've got a bit of a transition happening, and certain films and Hard Target would be in there, is one that people don't really give a chance, and I think that that may be a natural thing because. They might be looking at it through a different lens and maybe there's nothing really in Broken Arrow that makes it really rise to the top. So in the 90s, you have a bit of a sense that a lot of the excess and hyperbole of action movies of the 80s, that's dying down and it's taking on a little bit more of a 90s independent type of trend. So, which is ironic because a lot of 90s independent cinemas inspired by Wu when you think of Rodriguez and Tarantino. Um, but now this audience that is looking for, uh, you know, something from Rodriguez or something from Tarantino and get their spin on it, you know, they're not really seeing that this is all related. But at any rate, I think that by the time we get to Harry Potter and Spider-Man and The Matrix, I think studios are saying, you know what, a lot of those action movies from the 80s and the 90s, those one-offs, we're not going to do that anymore. It's harder to market. It's it's harder to make someone fall in love with those movies. So we're going to go with big brands because I don't have to teach people every time out about new characters and new relationships. Everything is sort of brand ready. And I think uh, something like Broken Arrow is the exact type of film that you won't see now unless it's a bit of a gamble from say to for prime or, or netflix you know like they'll they'll do stuff like this but you won't see anything 
with this size budget, I forget what the, the budget was on this around 50 it's million. 50, or I think. So it's sizable enough, but you're not going to see a $50 million film in today's dollars even uh, mm -hmm. on a product like this because it's two brand new characters and it's a one-off. It's a woo-off and we're going to have some fun <laughs> and it's just... You, you know, had this ready to go, didn't you? No, I didn't. Uh, but it's it's just, it's embracing the action it's genre for a one-off. Sitting like Clint Eastwood with his fucking revolver just <laughs> woo-off. <laughs> waiting for my, my puns in my holster. Uh, but I think that's what it is. And it's, it's just something people largely mass audiences, less and less patience for it. And then they're starting to be seduced in the nineties by special effects and twisters and dinosaurs and Pixar's. And, you know, I think this is just a part of that era where action heroes are fading out, action movies are fading out, and CGI and strong branding is fading in. See, here's a, here, okay. To, to, no, I don't want to push back on this, but then to say, to, to comment on this, when you say, okay, well, I agree that sort of the action man's fading out and then the, the sort of the indie revolution's kind of taking hold and the sort of the more sophisticated audiences to which I, th I suppose this movie would have been targeted because people would have to know, oh, it's John Woo, look at that, or something like this. Like, so I suppose this would be one, one demographic that, to which this would be targeted, the people who actually are aware of Hong Kong cinema and the other demographic would be people who are like blockbusters with, with big shit blowing up and stunts and stuff like this, right? So I suppose people who want this, the latter group would be like, where's my action man? Where's my Arnold Schwarzenegger? Where's my Tom Cruise? You could argue that Christian Slater is the Tom Cruise you can afford. Um, <laughs> it's actually my note. <laughs> Christian Slater is it's not too far man. off. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just say this, but then, uh, okay, well, but there's, I think Nicolo mentioned, you mentioned that there is like, okay, well, there's no romantic or dramatic sort of angle to it, that there is no, um, I could, it's it's hard to hang your hat on this because what you're essentially watching is a western, and then to me, this, I, I quickly googled while you were speaking just Roger Ebert review on my phone, and then just quickly did find in page the word western in spaghetti, and he didn't get it either, because I I see this film and I see a spaghetti western, and this is something to me. This is okay. Well, people who would watch Tarantino and Rodriguez films should be able to fish out these things and say like, oh look at him, he's He's like Tarantino for 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 his entire career was was ripping off Sergio Leone, right? Mm -hmm. And and then okay, well John Woo's actually doing the same. In fact, I will I will go go a step further. Then this movie is essentially it's not about bombs or nuclear weapons. It's about a showdown between two people. There's a there's a guy in white and a guy in black. There's Charlie Bronson and Henry Fonda. There's Lee Van Cleef and there's um and, and there's Clint Eastwood. That's that's the showdown in here. You're watching this, and then so it starts with a boxing match. Okay, yeah, it's foreshadowed. It starts with a boxing match, and it ends with a boxing match. It's poetic. Like it's, it has to make sense, and everything's elevated. Everything's surreal, and then the music should actually give you a, give you a hint that it sounds like Navajo Joe, right? So, wow. so and then there's like a set piece on a train. Like this, there's yeah. so many things. There is oh, that you can. It looks like it's set in Monument Valley too. The, mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a western, and then people don't yeah. don't even get that. And I fail to believe that. Okay, well, it's either either I fail to believe that people actually gave this film a benefit of the doubt, and they just dismissed it on first go, saying 
saying the cockpit in the B2 bomber looks too spacious, it's clearly a set, or it doesn't make sense because you wouldn't be he wouldn't be able to see his reflection in the window because they're clearly in a hotel room with two chairs and and not, not in a cockpit or something like this. That it kind of looks fake. So it almost feels like this this movie was doomed to fail because people didn't really want it to succeed like they didn't want to kind of just give it a chance and i i have a feeling that this may be part of it because like i look at this and i see like what like if you're a critic i could if you if you're worth your weight and salt you should be able to pick out these things and i don't I don't appreciate this thing. So I appreciate the film on its own merits. I don't want... No, you should be able to actually pick out that this guy, the, the score is homaging Ennio Morricone. Like, come on. You should be able... Like, if you, if you call yourself Roger Ebert, like, this guy should know this. I'm pissed. I still don't really see the score connection, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I was really saying to the soundtrack, like, ah, yes. It's very lightly westerny, but... Yeah, I think um, you're right. Yeah, now this... This was a this was a hit. I'll say that. So mass audiences were they came out for, it, but I think it is largely forgotten by them, and that could be because the absence of a hook. Like I, I think that audiences were not just waiting for the next Hollywood film to come out unless it had a hook. So you needed some sort of a hook, whether it was a brand, like I was saying, or maybe it's like speed. The way that speed is written, like it's oh well if the if it decelerates below 50, like that's, that's an, that's a compelling hook, but there has to be something more of a hook. And this doesn't really have that. Now I would argue like academically it does. And for film geeks, it, it does. Like if you're looking at this as a Western and you're looking at this with just sort of the way that uh, Wu shoots his films, like just with that magic and slow motion that is just so Wu, uh, you know, there's, there's stuff for film geeks in there. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you that a lot of people miss that, like on you know amongst critics, and I, I think that that is in there. Like I think I missed that at the time, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's completely it's completely Im- embedded in it. Like, like I don't blame I don't blame regular audiences that they missed this in 1996 because okay, well fine, if your regular Joe Schmo goes into the cinema and says, oh, it's a Travolta film about a plane, and okay, maybe they won't connect with. Uh, obscure references to 1968 in, in in Italian westerns, but maybe they would connect to the fact that look at this, the stunts in here are real. Like there's there's a guy jumping at, jump, jumping out and just down a cliff, and there's a fake helicopter rotor just swooping down, uh, and it's epic. It looks great, and it's all in slow motion as well. Not a single dove, but but I don't know. You can't have everything, but you know, like why don't yeah, why, por qué. I think physical stunts were getting a little old. I know. I, I refuse to acknowledge this. <laughs> I know. What a sad world. <laughs> Just, I, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, onto the film itself. Is it, oh, it, while we're talking about problems, is the problem is the problem not having a big a big name attached to it? Is like a Schwarzenegger or I don't know. No, I've. I'd... Or what is Travolta supposed to try to do? To do is 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 he big enough to carry this as a as a as a as, a, as a sort of like the A lister? Or I, I want to connect this with with two points: one that both Ren, one that Randy made and another that Cordero made. There's no real hook, and that 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 is a problem. There's no real way to sell this film, and when you're watching it, it connects to what Cordero said. That's like it takes a while to get going, definitely to get into the who goodness, like. Okay, so it's these two guys. They're they're doing a boxing match. Okay, ah, there's a 
There's a bit of a rivalry. Oh, no, really. They're actually friends and they're good colleagues. Oh, cool. It's going to be a buddy movie. Oh, twist. Is the villain? Okay. I have to change everything works now. Okay. And then, then the plane crashes. So it's not a plane movie. Okay. And it, so it just keeps going. It keeps like settling into what it really wants to be. And it does take a while. And I can see that being a little bit boring. It's a little bit tiring. Kind of like, yeah. Let's get going. What what are you actually about? What 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 are you, Broken Arrow? And that, rivalry. That's, that is. Yeah, but like, but yeah, but like, yeah, but it takes a while. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it would take so while. It starts with a boxing match, and it's just like, come on, it's just, oh, we're just sparring, just well, because we think that this is why you lose. Like this, like it's already there. <laughs> no, it's compelling, but you know, it's. Yeah, it's it's definitely it like not, oh, it's, it's not as took it out of your pocket or something. <laughs> it's not as tight as like you know as speed or as other action films from the time. If if you're talking about like finding problems with it, that's what I'd say. And speaking of speed, also rips off a film from 1975 star, uh, starring Sonny Chiba. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just about, okay. Well, hopefully by this time there there will be a there will be a little article on on my website maybe it won't be because i've i'm, I'm trying to kind of just because uh, i watched the bullet train and there's a film called the bullet train from 1975 about about the train that can't slow down so, so just saying because the bomb there's a bomb in there yeah nothing's original and i'm not re- I'm, like the business of no hook I'm not really raising that myself as any type of a complaint, but I can, and I don't think audiences minded too much either. I don't know what, I don't know if cinema score existed back then, but they came out for this movie and this was released in February, if I'm remembering correctly, which is not a traditional, you know, big, big market time. They missed, so, they missed the uh, December release because the uh, the CGI wasn't ready. Okay. The so, CGI that's going to make an appearance wasn't ready. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but this is not a, a film that expects to make a lot of money, but it, it made 75 million in North America and it doubled that worldwide for a winter release. And that's actually, in my mind, that's, that's a big deal financially. So audiences were there for it. I just think they it's easy to forget and audiences looking back, just not care as much about because of the lack of a hook. And uh, by the way, cinema score was a thing and broken arrow got yeah. a B plus. There you go. Hey. Almost perfect. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, but just in general, like why? What? Yeah, I, I, this is something I, I just don't don't understand. And then I'm just thinking to myself, like, is this like, is it a graveyard month release? Right, like February, nothing gets released in February. Right. So. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to invoke like the sort of the, the racism of Hollywood. That's just like oh, it's just directed by a Hong Kong director, so it's not. It's not Spielberg or De Palma or someone like this. That it's just like it's a name we don't. We don't understand. We can't acknowledge this because we don't know cinema from Hong Kong because it's just obscure shit that people who um, I don't know spend their entire evenings in VHS rental stores will probably know about. So. Yeah, Actually, I don't know. I don't know if this is it, or is this the fact that it's stylistically a little bit odd, or is it stylistically odd? Well, or is it more Hollywood than it isn't? I think it's Hollywood, but I think in terms of the release date, like you're mentioning that it wasn't ready to go for its original release. So if it's being released in December, that makes sense. That's a money. That's a money making time. You know, the, the this is Fox. Is this Fox? Yes, it is. Yeah. So there's still uh, fifty million dollars tied up in this. So. Don't, I would hesitate to say that there's necessarily a, a racism, like, 
like lack of understanding. Honestly, I would they say don't have very though. True. Just saying. But but in terms of this release and not understanding, I would say the story is more likely that we can't release it because it's not ready in December. Damn, that sucks because Travolta is hot after Get Shorty. Well, we can't release it in the summer. I'd have to look at what the summer releases are, but they probably have their release schedule already pegged out and they're just saying look, there's a free middle of the winter weekend. Let's release it in February. That's probably the story there. Mm-hmm. They probably would have preferred and thought they'd make more money in, in a December uh, release. Yeah. Cordero, what do you think about this? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it like $150 million for this movie, I think is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, I mean, I think even if you put it in December, I think that's maybe you'd get a little more, but I think that's honestly, I mean, I, I can't see, the appeal to general audiences outside of people who enjoy blockbusters, people who enjoy John Woo, like those kind of, of, of groups, you know, I I don't see two people going on a date going, Hey, you want to see this, this new Christian Slater, John Travolta movie. I'm not necessarily seeing that, but I see like maybe some people who go out and have drinks or something, you know, they want to go have a fun, goofy Friday. They, Hey, look at this new John Travolta movie. This looks pretty silly. This looks pretty fun. Let's have a good time with it. So I, so I don't know. I mean, I I think it did pretty good for for what it is. Honestly, like I I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of lost lost at I mean, that so, to be honest. You know, it did good for what it is. But what is it like? Is this something? Is this a problem as well? That there's there's just it's it's difficult to kind of articulate. Like if you wanted to kind of tell your friends, like, oh, we should probably go and see this. Uh, what is it? I'm not sure if it's a plane movie because it's a bomb movie. I mean, oh, by the way, there's a hook. There's a bomb on the train. Come on. Yeah, in the last <laughs> twenty minutes. Yeah, it's a bit of a you know, like, people should be aware of this. Like it's post Tarantino pop fiction. It's just a it's a collage of things. I feel like the best way you can sell this movie is to anybody who's familiar familiar with Wu, and maybe that was an issue. Maybe it's just Wu isn't necessarily as well known in the states at this point. I mean, you know, I'd like to believe that he was just like, oh, it's the, it's the new movie from the guy who did Hard Target, because <laughs> Hard Target was a success, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Also, by the way, just quickly googled. Um, the, probably one of the reasons why they didn't they they released it in February once once they missed on their sort of December window was because um, in the summer of '96, and uh, and let's go by by uh, by box office record Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, The Rock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Independence so Day also by 20th Century Fox. Fo- well, Fox is Independence. Uh, Twister is yeah. Warner Brothers slash Universal. Mission Impossible is Paramount. So yeah, like the summer's already looking busy. So, so it's pretty, it's pretty stacked, right? So yeah, probably good. You know, that movie just got must have gotten like lucky, you know, for being in February. Because I mean, it's like anybody knew that all those movies were gonna be big hits, but we do. We know all those movies yeah. are big hits, so it's. I mean, I think probably they, probably really knew, they probably knew because like ID four was advertised like a year in advance. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it had, had the sort of prime uh, weekend picked out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They had a weekend. They had a weekend locked in <laughs> a year in advance. Uh, also, I can remember there were these sort of little teaser trailers. Like you had one for Godzilla for '98, for instance, right? They were just like 30 second long 
a sort of teaser where you have the moon and just the big shadow kind of just descending and ID4 and it's like, what the hell is this? I don't know. It was like the what is the matrix sort of campaign. It was it, it was big. And I think The Rock was supposed to be a big success because The Bad Boys was a massively successful film. So people kind of knew this is going to be big, especially with how much money they were spending on it. So That's fair. But still, so what? what is... Okay, so if we know what the problem is, what is the allure of Broken Arrow for you, for you guys? What what is that gets you going about it? Well, you know, it's 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 just fun. That's that's I I think you said it. Where it's kind of a comfort film. It's very at the end of the day, it is very simple. It doesn't require much much brain activity to follow. Um, it is way easier to understand than uh, Hard Target, which was cut down, like hacked in the first half. At least here is a very coherent story. And you're like, okay, once you figure out what's going on, it's like, okay, just Christian Slater has to stop John Travolta with any means necessary. And that's the film. And it's like, yes. And it goes from set piece to set piece. And there's a chase and they're hijacking trucks and they're in a mine and there's the train and there's the explosion. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 fun. It's exciting. It's simple. It's straightforward. Um, it has enough, you know, like quips and lines that make it very snappy, make it very fun. It is a crowd pleaser, you know. If if you know what you're getting yourself into, it is very much um, a satisfying, enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's thought provoking. Yeah. No social commentary like Hard Target, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That solved a lot of problems for New Orleans. Well, there's, mm-hmm. there's some social commentary when John Travolta says something like, and you know what? I never actually killed anyone in person. I dropped bombs on Baghdad. And here's your social commentary. Yeah. This is commentary about the uh, American foreign policy. There you go. <laughs> um, for me, and especially now that I know that uh, Grammy Austin, the speed connection, like I see this, this works because it's just sort of, I find it ongoing momentum once they get in the plane and uh, you know, there's a couple little breaks here and there, but largely they're moving or they're on something that's moving. And I love that. And then when you get the various set pieces and even smaller moments, like Wu's photography and coverage of scenes and slow motion, like I say, I love how he makes actors look like, Hmm. man, they look cool. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm, I'm in this, you know, moment to moment. And I, I just, it's just fun. Like it's, it's fun. And, it's more stylish than what you'll see in a comparable genre film, generally speaking. And it's shot on location too, which I think mm-hmm. adds mm-hmm. a lot to it, honestly, especially coming off of Hard Target, which kind of you felt the sets for a good portion of that movie here. It's, you know, you feel the setting, you feel the world, and it really pays off, honestly. And it, and it fuels that Western aesthetic too, honestly. I mean, this this is sort of uh, for me. This is part of the the allure of the film is that actually what you're saying is that it kind of looks like it's a western. Like you see the Monument Valley. There's the locations themselves kind of lend this sort of atmosphere, and then you have this sort of propulsive action. Like in the mines, it kind of feels like it's a Hong Kong action action filmmaking. Like the camera's up close and personal. It's just you, you can see the camera person probably just was swearing and sweating because you just ask him ask him to run with in a steady cam rig like an absolute ding dong <laughs> right 
because <laughs> he's just following Christian Stater, who actually does like these sort of like these tiger jumps, <laughs> just throwing fake grenades at John Travolta, and kind of looks like it's like you're like we talked about this on City on Fire. Like you just there's a camera in the room while they're shooting. Well, it's like a documentary almost. Like it feels like they're trying to kind of just reenact something that happened. And yeah, yeah. So it has this sort of allure that it's equally like you have. There's a lot of disbelief in there, and then but it feels like it's like it's happening for reals. Like there's no like they don't pull any punches in here. So that's for me. That's the allure at least. Do you feel a lot of Hong Kong in this, Jakob? I do actually. I if if you. I do in a way that well, you you feel the Hollywood in here. It's like especially when the the action leaves. Um, the location once you're in the sort of the uh, Pentagon or the big um, sort of I can't remember it's like the mission control with Dale Rue and going like okay let's find them or something you know so it feels it, this is where it feels 1990s Hollywood like the only thing that like Dale Rue Lindo in a military uniform it feels wrong when he doesn't ask anyone to stop eating his sesame cake so so just I'm just gonna say this but in general like this bits in the monument valley or on the train they feel hong kong to me they feel it, it feels like there is a there's a tactile sort of feel to the to the film like everything feels like it just happens there's no like no one no one's really pretending that they're just doing their best and they're just actually jumping off the train and the train's moving and then if 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 the uh, the guy says ah I broke my ankle and John Woo goes like stop being a pussy and get up like and that you know <laughs> I could I could see this happen so yeah that, that's how and then it, then there's there's the slow mo and there's the you know, everyone gets an entrance like John like, oh where's Deacons where's Deacons like this, the, the old guy comes in, and and then you hear the and then just walks in in a very in slow motion in in, in the glasses that they apparently sent out to all the critics as a little sort of a uh, <laughs> giveaway it feels yeah it's it's elevated for, for me and I, I kind of like it for this yeah, I guess for me like when I think of Hong Kong like if I'm thinking of Ringo Lam or Choi Hawk or Stanley Tong like like those guys it, it feels more like you're running around on the street but John Woo is always a little bit different for me because it feels like he's strategizing everything and there's a little bit more thought that's going into it it does feel authentic in terms of those are real stuntmen doing really crazy things. Um, but it feels like there's a little bit more strategy involved because of uh, camera placement and we want to have slow-mo. So we're going to have to have the camera here at this point and here at this point. So it just, I, John Woo has a little bit different of feel for me when I, mm -hmm. when oh, I yeah. think of his work compared to some of his contemporaries from Hong Kong. That's why I asked. I'd say yes and no. Actually, I would say yeah. In that, that he's he's more like okay. He will he will set up. I mean, I would say like someone like Ringo Lam will probably have one camera in a van, and then we'll have yes. uh, Chow Yun Fat go like okay. You run from here to there. We don't have any permits. Just run. Okay, we'll film you. You just run. Right. That's all you need to do. And then there are just bystanders. We don't give a shit. Like they're gonna be on the screen for half a second. No one needs to sign anything. Right. Uh, Whereas in here, he, he actually sets up like four cameras and then everything's kind of just... But I feel like in this sort of... He sets up a universe, right? He will, he will set up the, like four cameras in a room or in a mine. He will say, okay, one camera goes here, the other camera goes there, this one goes there. We're doing everything in one take and you run from here to there across this axis and while everything's just going nuts. 
But I think once he reels action, he just lets it happen. I feel yeah. like that's how I feel. Like there is the sort of not the choreographed act, uh, aspect kind of just stops being uh, meaningful the minute he sh- he he sh- shouts action. Right. Yeah. He just becomes a bit more sort of in the moment in BDRS. Yep. No, that that's a good take. That's because yeah, probably he does have three, four, five cameras working. And they're only going to run through it once or twice, whereas it's contemporary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I feel like I feel this was—it's uh, the same cinematographer, Peter Le- Peter Levy. I think it's the same one who did, who did Hard Target, didn't he? I don't know. Uh, no, it's not. Because <laughs> I, I remember the guy on Hard Target had massive problems with lighting yeah. scenes, right? Because he was right, just like, yeah. how how I am sh- I supposed to work with this guy? Yeah, he pretty much changed cinematographers with every movie because it's so tiring <laughs> and hard to watch. Which again, like another piece of evidence that he's yeah. not exactly making a Hollywood film because he refuses to work the Hollywood way. But that's but that's also part of why it wasn't even favorably received by fans of his who really dug the Hong Kong cinema that he was doing beforehand. Mm-hmm. Because you kind of do feel this struggle in some parts. We've mentioned them already. And while I still enjoy the film for what it is, of course, it's definitely not as... I don't know. Like Maybe some of the emotions don't ring as true, I guess. In something like Broken Arrow, which, again, to me, is a lesser John Woo. It's mm-hmm. it's more about the Hollywood sheen in some parts. Uh, yeah. Woo's learning the ropes at this point, too. I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say. You know, like he's he's dealing with elements here, like he hasn't really uh, dealt with anything this big before. Uh, no, for sure he hasn't. And also, you know, the fact that he's dealing with more more and bigger vehicles, bigger budgets, bigger stunts, uh, some some CGI. So there's a bit of a learning curve here that he was inviting, like he was happy to do this project. So that's another thing that we may actually find out to be a bit of a a theme throughout uh, Wu's Hollywood films is that he's sort of stumbling into projects. Like he isn't the developer Mm -hmm. of any of these projects, right? This is a project that's already got a bit of momentum with some other producers. So then presumably John Wu and Terrence Chang feel like a good fit for the, for the project. Um, Like he's not developing these. So that might be where you have different cinematographers and, you know, varying levels of control over the final product that type of thing because he's he's now without the power of you know the the language like full control of the language like he's probably not you know the influential commanding uh presence that say a spielberg would be nope we're doing this this way and i've got my team and we've got it from here thanks for getting the project this far boys like he's he's walking into this and there's still a tremendous amount of influence from the studios mm-hmm I'm curious, what do you guys think uh, if if this John Woo era, if he never came to America and never worked in Hollywood, what do you think that would look like in, in Hong Kong filmmaking? What do you think he'd move on to? Not sure. He, I don't think he had anywhere to go in, in Hong Kong almost. like he, he almost like reached the, the apex of what he could do from hmm. there. Yeah, that's a fascinating question. Very, very interesting question to sort of sit on and, and ponder. But I, I think Jacob's right. Like he sort of reached the zenith. And at least on on the business side, his films were starting to 
export. Like his his films were really important for the whole Hong Kong industry um, because there was a demand for them at international festivals and in video stores and you know small market theatrical releases uh, in a way that there'd been no real interest before. So even if John Woo stays put, I think that there's some export element to the Hong Kong industry. Maybe it's not him. I think uh, some of the other guys around that time, like Choi Hawk, he was tremendously influential. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you see guys like that and Stanley Tong and the Jackie Chan connection and and uh, Jet Li, like those, those guys, their products start exporting probably. But in terms of what does John Woo do? Hard to say. Like stuff with a stuff with a heart, I think. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe turns to uh, mob films, more mob films. I, I'm not sure. Because hmm. I think that he's liking the idea of being in a new environment and having more things to play with. Different actors, different genres, different types of stories. Like in Hong Kong, he was always very, very influenced by the types of films. So he was making films that were popular in Hong Kong at the at the time. So he started off with martial arts movies, which were popular in the 70s. And then there were a few popular uh, cop cop movies. And so he ended up doing cops, cop and robbers, cops and, and mob type movies, just because that's what that's what the trends dictated. So really hard to say. It's fascinating to think about, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, I think there is um, I almost postulate there is no way that he doesn't go to Hollywood having achieved what he achieved like this is just it has to happen and this is i think this may be this may this was almost par for the course for hot directors i want i don't want to say from the asian market but it's just in general um like someone like kurosawa for instance he he did go to hollywood didn't do much in hollywood but he did go because he had nowhere well i mean he was at the top of his game then and i mean i think there was there was also a, a bit of a sort of drama with toshiro mifune because i think after redbeard they had they had fallen out i think there was there was there was a bit a bit of drama in there but i think he was fe- feeling like artistically like i'm just doing more of the same and he felt like he wanted um to do hollywood films because his his films were just heavily inspired by by hollywood movies themselves so it was just like yeah, it's natural for for him to and then for me this the same sort of I mean, you could say the same tra- sort of tragic irony kind of is extended to John Woo because Kurosawa went to Hollywood and then he wasn't allowed to work the way he worked uh, and he couldn't acclimatize to the way Hollywood works with the sort of this fast turnarounds and, and just comedies overseeing scripts and things being just out of your hands for some reason. And he just o- almost brought him to suicide, right? But the same goes for John Woo. He... Hong Kong cinema, to me, I've always seen this. Hong Kong cinema is an approximation of Hollywood. This is this is the type of movies that people who grew up watching uh, westerns of the sixties and seventies, or or the actioners from the seventies, the, the dirty sort of films from from New, New Hollywood, they were watching these while growing up, and they're just thinking, "I want to make movies like this." And then they they finally get a camera and say, "Like fuck, like, I want, like I'm not never gonna work in Hollywood. So I might as well just pick up a camera and start doing them on my on on, on in right. my neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, let's do our own Dirty Harrys. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then yep. so to me, like, he's doing an approximation of this, and then finally he reaches the apex of what he can achieve in Hong Kong, and it's just like I can. The only thing I can do is to actually just fulfill my dream and just make a Hollywood film the way 
I thought I would be able to make one day, right? So this is like a dream come true for us, for instance. So, so in a way, it's a roundabout way of saying that if John Woo doesn't go to Hollywood, he fails. Because that's hmm. what he, I think this is what he deeply always wanted to go and do. Just go and make a Hollywood action film. Like he wanted to make a Western and then, or just, or make a samurai film. And then in a, in a way, like something like Broken Arrow or Hard Target, there are just sort of these mergers of American cinema western like american action films westerns and samurai films just all and almost even anime as well just act, live live action anime just the slowdowns and the sort of the, the weird uh stylization it's all it's all just far eastern cinema just all just this massive melting pot of these inspirations and like no wonder that sort of guys like tarantino are like i want to do this and <laughs> this is my aesthetic right so in a way, I want to say that just John Woo has to go to Hollywood and then maybe even has to fail in there because he's he's just the, the, he, the reason he was so successful in what he was doing was because he had the freedom that Hollywood just does not allow. Yeah, it's a roundabout way of saying that John Woo has to be and go to Hollywood and has to make a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be. It was written in the stars. <clears throat> Bless him for doing it. No, I just in in general. When so, uh, just coming back to the film itself. What do you guys think about this? Of is there a chemistry between the characters that kind of just let, lets this film kind of roll uh, on, just on its own? And just is there is there something redeeming about uh, the film apart from this just being fun to watch? Is there something you can fish out? I, I think Slater and Travolta have they they have, they have built in chemistry. I think, mm-hmm. and it, and I think it comes from that momentum that that inertia from starting with that boxing match we kind of get this this rivalry buddy relationship where it's like they take jabs at each other but they really care about each other for for like 10 minutes until that ends but i i think that carries itself through like through the story and through the action and things like that i think they i don't know they they have quips you know they, they have good dialogue between each other and it's it's I don't know the way they play each other or the way they play their roles is, is I don't know it's fun and it's it's engaging and I I feel that connection there but I won't like I will say it's not in comparison to other Wu films I don't think like this holds much weight to that but he he excels at these kind of relationships this kind of camaraderie between rivalries mm-hmm. and it's always engaging to watch yeah yeah I think it works like it's for me, this is anytime I've ever wafted on this, it's because there's not necessarily a lot of depth. It's it's pretty thin thin stuff in terms of the the writing and the connection. But yeah, I I, I think Travolta and Slater they both show that they're you know comfortable you know cinema stars. Like you know they the screen loves both of them. They they both uh, you know command the screen and you know Travolta in particular is sort of in another world here and. <laughs> And that's great. Like this is '90s villainy, which you know mm-hmm. we've talked about in the last few months. So you know he's he's doing his thing, and he's he's great. And I think there's little touches probably coming from Wu, which help uh, amp it up. And yeah, I I enjoy the sort of the frenemy and loyalty and brothers in arms uh, issues. Like that's like that's the killer, for instance. And uh, I believe. Uh, better tomorrow i think that's sort of the crux that's that's a popular thing so i totally understand why Wu would you know 
be drawn to this type of connection. And it works you know, well enough. And I kept thinking of another film that we talked about, uh, guys, with the opening boxing. And here, the boxing really works, where you've got these two characters. The Black Dahlia sort of starts oh. off the same way. <laughs> yep. Yep. Totally useless. Anyway, not to bring that movie back into your <laughs> what's lives. Happening here works, and then uh, yeah. But, but you know, let's just say let's just say that uh, what's his name, Aaron Eckhart, yeah. can't shine John Travolta's shoes. Just put it that way. Like in terms of just on-screen presence and charisma. And by the way, just Travolta bulked up for this. Like you could see that he has this. He, yeah. he has shoulders. Like he has some. You know, <laughs> he's he's ripped. Like I like him. Yeah. No shirtless but, scene, sadly. Like it's, probably also had a gut. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's thin stuff, but it's simple, and there's nothing wrong with simple, and it totally works, you know, mm -hmm. for for what it's doing. Um, yeah, like we were saying, it's not it's not Shakespeare. It doesn't have to be. It's it's perfectly it's perfectly fine. Yeah, and yeah, I really like Travolta. Really Speaking like of Shakespeare. Do oh you my. think one of the criticisms that Roger Ebert leveled at the film, and he was really passionate about this, uh, was that the movie's talky. It's just too talky, and he was just like he was talking about the sort of fallacy of uh, the talking the talking villain. Let's yeah. just, I've got a quote ready to roll. Hold on. This is opening of his review. Two stars, by the way, dickhead. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's half, you know. <laughs> Could yeah, but for him, for him, for uh, him, thumbs up starts with two and a half out of four. Dickhead again, but you know. <laughs> anyway, so a lot of stuff gets blowed up. Blowed up, yes. Real good in Broken Arrow, including the train, four helicopters, and a mountain. But these brief flashes of special effects don't do much to speed up a slow, talky action thriller that plays like an homage to the fallacy of the talking killer. The fallacy, you will recall, occurs when all the bad guy has to do is pull the trigger and his problems are over. Instead, he talks and talks until his target escapes from his predicament. That's a good point. <laughs> it's, I always it, think about... It? It's it's it happens in all the action movies. Like it's 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 a fallacy for sure, but it's a cliche. It's a trope of the genre. There's definitely like fifty times there that John Travolta could have just finished everything if he just shot Christian Slater as soon as he saw him, <laughs> or something like that. Just that's such a boring way to look at movies, though, is to find those. It's it's you know those jokes you always see where the Big Lebowski, if the dude just didn't care about his rug. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't have a good movie. That's what would happen. Yeah. We tied the room together, you know? Like, he couldn't not care. <laughs> like, it's it, it's human. He wants to best this dude, right? That's, like, the whole point of this. So, yeah, he would... It's it's the James Bond kind of thing. You go, yeah, I'm better than you. Here's why I'm better than you. Oh, no, he got away. Dang, I'm going to do that again next time I catch him. <laughs> it's part of the genre. It's, it's, it's part exactly. of the expectations, you know? To me, I mean, I mean, maybe this is me being fresh off the f fresh off the bullet train, by the way, from cinema, from my cinematic watch of this film. So I kind of just, I'm, I'm thinking about these things. If this film was, if if the stuff that John Travolta is saying to say in terms of the sort of the talky talky killer, like when he just goes and explains, and he has to just, he has this sort of big num num pad on the on the bomb for no fucked up reason. But if it, if it was delivered in Japanese and this was animated, you wouldn't have anything bad to say about this. Oh, I'd complain more actually. This <laughs> this is like almost the sort of it's it's almost like taken verbatim from an anime iconography and aesthetic. 
and I don't mind it here. I don't like there are worse. There are worse examples, you know, of, of this. I appreciate the complaint, but I don't really see that in Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then to, to me, like, I don't know, like, I watch this, like, even, even when, like, uh, Deacons is just laying out his plans to pretty much everybody he meets, right? <laughs> <laughs> he likes to share, you know. Yeah, but then you, I, all I, all I need for this, for this film to kind of just be complete in this, in, in, in what the film, in my mind, is trying to do is the, uh, Enyumarik on the score in the background going, woo, woo, woo. So that you know exactly what kind of universe you're in. Like this is the the villains sharing because the villain's not a real person. No one's real. It, they're all Western stereotypes. They just left their costumes at home. That's all this is. And yeah, but then I, I just I, I just looked at the Roger Ebert review and I'm just like, like this guy. You care too much about Roger. Leave him alone. He's only gonna bring pain. <laughs> only pain. See, yeah. And this is like the exact kind of movie that Roger Ebert would just. I mean, you watch this movie and you go, you you don't even have to look up what he thinks of it. You you already know. You already know he's not gonna like it, is he? In two stars, higher than expected, you know. Yeah, he just so, does not have fun. Uh, yeah, but this this is something that apparently was a was a concern that people kind of just had a problem with. Uh, you know, like not not only just ebert right like people just in general had this uh, where's the reception on wikipedia like you know john woo adds consensus consensus from rotten tomatoes john woo adds pyrotechnic glaze to john travolta's hammy performance but fans may find broken arrow to be a this this dispiritingly disposable english what what a great phrase dispiritingly disposable english language entry to for the action altar so it's just I suppose this kind of just pays homage to what you're saying, that there's no hook. I think. Although. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't mean to hog the spotlight, but I have a, I have a theory in here, and I, this is this is where I think the hook is. Which comes to the ending, by the way. So, so let's just quickly move into this. What do you guys think about how the, how the movie is sort of staged to, to kind of have this sort of final showdown, the bomb and everything? It's cool. It's very, very cool. You you put a train in an action movie. I'm I'm in, you know. And and this is a very solid set piece. It's loud, it's big, it's constantly building up on what happens beforehand, which is always a sign of a great of, of a solid script at least. Um, you know, there's the helicopter that's there as a backup, and that blows up. And uh, Christian Slater hiding behind. There's a girl, and he saves the girl. And there's a couple fist fights, and there's a shootout, and it's all leading up to what you know is going to happen. It's the rematch. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, that's like screenwriting 101. It's not necessarily a great script. It's just competent. It's, you know, oh, it's the ending and it's tied in the beginning. And uh, you need the rematch. You need, you need the rope dope to come back. And you need Christians later to see that it's changed throughout the journey. It's fine. It's, it's satisfying. Like, you, you finish it, you go like, you know what? That was a good movie. <laughs> like, I had fun. I feel fulfilled. Then you're not really going to be thinking much about it after five days because it's, again, like they said in Rotten Tomatoes, it's disposable, which is probably its biggest sin. I like it. I rewatched it. It was fun. But after like four years, like four years since I first saw it, hasn't really left much in me. And after five, four days of watching it, it's already been leaving a little, little bit of the excitement that I had afterwards. Meanwhile, like, Hard Target is still... I'm still riding the high of Hard Target, which is weird. 
Um, no, it's yeah. not weird at all. It's it's totally expected. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> but it's it's like yes, that's I I like the ending and I, I yeah, it's it's serviceable. It's a serviceable ending. It does what it needs to do. I too am happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> they tell me yes, I'm here. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, I have to carry the conversation all by myself. <laughs> it's a broken arrow. It's hard, it's hard to talk too much about it. Yeah, I like the I like the momentum of this of this script. I love that it keeps moving. I you know, uh, I I love the set piece on on the train. Like I think it it looks good, and you've got this great valley in the background. Like it it, it looks lovely. I. I, I like the moment where Samantha Mathis is going to have this big moment and the she oh I forget what what does she do to the, the guy that's arming the bomb or uh, it's Max Max I thought yeah. I was a computer geek yes a Navy Seal yeah on my, on my list wrong so yeah <laughs> so there's room in there for some you know for some energy and fun as well it's and the hammer. Uh, yeah stop hammer time so. <laughs> There's some weirdness there too because they end up like they're fighting over the remote, and which I sort of love that as as a concept. It's a it's very domestic. It's like there are siblings fighting over the remote. That's right. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> domestic scenario. So, uh, you know, I there's there's fun in in this. Like, like it's it's paper thin, but it's doing everything right. It's doing everything that it should do. It's not forgetting about anything. The the moments are you know well shot. Every frame of this, in my mind, is is gorgeous. And yeah, it's 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 following all the right beats. I, yeah, I was also like I think you read was it in Ebert's review said four helicopters. I was also counting helicopters because like <laughs> going back to you know just some of the different films that we've been the watching lately. By the way, right? Yeah, <laughs> like there's so many helicopters that get you know trashed in the '80s and '90s. You know, I'm thinking back to Piranha too. But anyway, yeah, like this is great. This is this is just great. I love that it's on a train. I love that it's still moving, and yeah, it's it's great. So, for me, I want to say this. I, this is this is me. Okay, just watch out. Watch your step, boys, because I'm gonna drop a hot garbage take in here. Oh okay. boy! This is this is me just ascending to the levels of trying to defend Jaws four and writing a two thousand word essay about it. Right. You're gonna say like, oh, it's paper thin. This is just disposal. I'm just thinking to myself like, I thought about this film way too long. <laughs> um, okay, this thing came to me when I when I realized in the scene in the train. I mean, in in the train, um, they they have this sort of scene. I mean, when I realized there's like t- two moments of symmetry between this and Hard Target. I mean, there's more because there's also this just overall just John Woo things like the reflection and the B to B, B back to back banter, you know, in the minds. Um, but there's two le- two moments of symmetry in the in the film, just in general. Which might as well just quickly note one of them is when the the the, the ending itself, when you have Lance Henriksen just trying to dismantle the grenade, going like, <laughs> and just the bomb going through John Travolta is pretty much just a sort of symmetrical sort of way of like weirdly disposing of the villain in the in this sort of like anticlimactic way. And then there is a scene where Travolta has Samantha Mattis under under the gun, and he uh, and he gets her to put in the code, and he's just trying to break her spirit. And this is the symmetrical scene to to the scene where load me right, <laughs> because 
the way they're standing, I mean, and this is this is happening before, and I'm just wondering is this is John Woo's direction that he's the guy's a genius, but I'm pretty sure this may be an accident. The way, or maybe is this maybe just John Travolta just hamming it up and just having a lot of fun with this. The way he's standing when he's just delivering this these speeches, he's always behind the bomb, and the bomb is like his big dick. So, so just hear me out. This is a longer rant. Hold on. It's poetic. <laughs> keep going. So. So the bomb is the extension of of, of John Travolta's ego. So he, it's essentially yeah. his penis, right? And now in the scene, when and to me it starts to make sense because now he gets Samantha Mattis to touch his ding dong, and then he just when when she just punches the code, he goes like, oh, oh, oh. makes sense to me, right? Because <laughs> he, she's playing with his pee pee, right? And then yeah, essentially you know? this is a rape scene as a result, right? Uh, if you think God. about it. <laughs> But now, I do see where you're going with this, though. I do. I, I, I can see that. So now, now this is where I'm going off the deep end. This is oh, when no. you think, oh, you know, this is uh, <laughs> this is all paper thin. Think about this. Like and now, if I pull back thematically, John Travolta as a character, he's this hammed up, just ain't it cool, night, night, honey. You know, this. He's this <laughs> hush. You know, this. this yeah, that's good, uh, man. You're doing good. I'm trying. Yeah. I've been. I don't want to say I've been practicing, but I've been practicing. Okay. <laughs> I've been just in in the in the mirror, just night night. Honey. Uh, but he's he's this sort of big jacked, uh, overconfident guy, and then Christian Slater is this sort of meek everyman. But he's a guy, and and but he's a guy who just achieves extreme extremely effective results using unconventional ways so like kick the tail rotor of a of, 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 of the helicopter or um or, or just even in the beginning you have to sort of like oh you know ali and foreman do this and he says i'm i'm more of a bruce lee guy and he just feigns a kick and then he just punches him in the no in the noggin right so to me john travolta is hollywood I feel I feel like like Tarantino and it's like my friend's birthday sort of scene where he just talks about Top Gun being an allegory for for being gay. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, I know of it. Yeah, yeah. So John Travolta is Hollywood. Christian Slater is John Woo. John Woo is defeating Hollywood by making Bro- Broken Arrow, and then he's and and then John Travolta is just defeat. He's this Hollywood ego, and he's defeated by his own big overblown dick. At the end, he gets impaled by his own massive penis. It's great. I can't. <laughs> this is where where this film becomes a five star experience that I'm actually w- willing to write a few words about. Like just yeah. So it's. <laughs> only I Roger can't wait for this essay. That. <laughs> what, what what? I said if only Robert e- Ebert could have heard that. Well, uh, I'm gonna uh, make it straight to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Someone's been reading too much Freud here. I haven't read, read any Freud. I'm just thinking like this bomb's a dick. I mean, because I, I don't know. These, even in, even in these like little, I don't know, in the valley, it looks like a dildo. Just you know, just just massive. <laughs> like, I'm just like I'm. I'm wondering is there is there gonna be a joke? Just like we found the bomb, it still vibrates, right? Because <laughs> just, just saying. Just saying, I, it's, it's, I didn't put the dicks in there. Like they put the dicks. <laughs> it's all they're doing. You're just seeing it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Oh God. Anyway, I have a feeling that we're. I don't know. 
let's let's just let's just close this before I, I embarrass myself even more. No, it's a good it's a good take. Good for you. <laughs> so pass on the back. I feel like Giles, pre pre it's like you know what? I'm not a civilian actually. I used to be a lieutenant in the whatever whatever Boy Scouts Yale I was in. Rusty. And it's good for you, lieutenant. <laughs> Uh, it's I sort of want to watch it now and 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 take take the watch it again through your eyes. I I'm curious now. <laughs> I won't wait. I won't wait six or seven years for my next rewatch. Yeah, watch watch, watch it this weekend like, and think about it. This is a spaghetti western meets a samurai film about the uh, about a, a Hong Kong sort of everyman director defeating the big ego of Hollywood with his cunning. And then you know anyway. Right. Before, before Travolta goes off, and he just has a smile at the end, just, <laughs> just it's it's great, it's anime. Come on, <laughs> final takes. takes. I'll go. Go first. And I, you know what? This conversation has actually made me like the movie a little bit less. <laughs> it's, it's always when I always when I try to come up with this. <laughs> It's no. it's not because of the of the dildo uh, giant uh, connection of the you know the phallic symbolism. It's not because of that, but just just because I was watching it and I wasn't liking it as much as it was the first time around, while I was still enjoying it. And I kind of accepted at the end of of all of this. It's you know it's a lesser rule, and that's fine. There are better films that I like more from him, even in Hollywood, that I want to rewatch more than this one. But as it is, this is a very good way to spend 105 minutes or however long it is. It's fun. It has memorable moments. It's it's more consistent than other films that he made, honestly. But it's lacking that extra something, that magic touch that makes you go like, now now this this is a like a banger John Woo film, you know. Extra points for uh, John Travolta just hamming it up though. Isn't this special th something? My dick analogy. Come on. You bravo. Cordero, what is it? Final take. Final verdict. Did, did you also end up? End up did, do you also uh, like it less now? No, I still think I. I, I still think it's it's pretty great on there on its go. own merits. It's a it's a mess, but like I I really like it. It it might be my least favorite John Woo movie I've seen so far, but I love all. Of, the John Woo movies I've seen. So like, that's not even a, that's like, that's a compliment basically. Um, one thing I want, I want to touch on that I thought would be kind of interesting, you know, with, we talked about like a little bit of modern cinema, modern blockbusters, but um, like, like with the MCU nowadays, they, they kind of have, you know, they call it, they call it the good old military propaganda where if something bad happens, like, with the military it's something that's like unfathomable they could have never have seen coming like that's when the military has its shortcomings in this movie it's it's negligence like there's a like when travolta's character betrays slater it takes him all of five seconds to completely accept it right before that he, he delivers that line about how like uh what, what does he say oh i had it written down when he's uh, testing him in the cockpit right is it, is yeah, it, is it then? you love having the power of god at your fingertips it's and like you know when when it, at the at the Pentagon or wherever wherever it is, when they see Travolta's PowerPoint short film that threat you know from Austin Powers threatening to destroy the world, um, 
they don't nobody stops and is like oh my god no everybody knows it's him like everybody has been paying attention to him this whole time and could see this like trajectory coming from it nobody did a damn thing I mean, they, it's they just do assume it's, it's Slater first because Hale lost it, something punching out. And, that, and that's funny too, is that like they look deeper into this situation because Giles misinterprets it. I think that's really interesting too. There's a lot of like very human elements to this. It's not the smartest person in the room is, is doing this. People are being dumb in this movie, and you appreciate that honestly because people are dumb. I'm dumb. I like being seen. And I feel seen and broke. But then he, <laughs> he see when they say like, "Oh, hey, I lost it," and they're just saying, "Oh, did he? Did he lose control of the plane?" And then Giles goes like, "What if he didn't mean this? What if he meant he lost control of the bombs?" I'm like, "No, he lost it. I think mean, he went mad. That's what it means." <laughs> Giles is overanalyzing this. That's the whole reason they're actually looking at this a little differently. It's it's military negligence. But then I, I totally agree when like they should have been like, like when they see John Travolta on the screen, it's like fucking knew it. <laughs> like, guys, we knew it would happen one day, right? We knew it would happen. Like and someone's like, Who who had Deacons betraying the country? Okay, like you lost fifty bucks, right? <laughs> but he took that money from Deacons in the first place. I do like the money, how how that comes back around. I like that payoff where Travolta gets the twenty dollars from him and then offers that back up. That's fun. For a few dollars more. So, you know, uh, it's still a Western sort of just, oh, look, symmetrical. Just, it's just, by the way, this banknote just survives such beatings. Just, just you can't buy shit with it at the end. It's uh, impressive. And one thing that we didn't touch is just before we just complete the final takes. Did you guys notice the uh, Howie scream? Yes. No. It's when, uh, uh, oh my god. What's the Howie scream? Well, Howie scream, that's the actor who who plays this. Howie Long? Howie Long scream. Like if you, hold on, I'll, hold on. Just two seconds. Later that same evening. It's so good. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this again. <laughs> Wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. This I cheered. From, this is from the ninth configuration, I think. I didn't <laughs> know it had it, a name. Yeah, it, how um, we long? Because that's the actor who's in there. How we long? Was I was I reading? They used this soundbite and they kept it in like Fox's uh, closet for a while, and they've they've used his scream in countless other films since. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay. So it's now yeah. it's like this sort of Wilhelm scream. Just you know, right. let's let's go again. <laughs> I think even video games use this, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very satisfying, honestly. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, considerable scream. Like, come on. And this is the, honestly, the guy who just like, oh no, the core is exposed. <laughs> and yeah, when he when he falls off the wagon into the river, right, just goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's How cool. can you not like it, Jesus, people? <laughs> yeah, it's good scream. Disposable I... entertainment. This is not disposable. This is iconic, Carson. This is iconic. Okay. Oh, well, 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 well. He's not about that, Chief. I think I prefer the Wilhelm scream, but Howie's is good. Yeah, Howie's good because it kind of sounds like he's just just moving himself away. <laughs> it's just great. Anyway, Randy, like final. How time. Master Chief would die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, in terms of my final take, I, I think that after this conversation, I like it even more. So, yeah, this continues to, to grow on me. I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed myself 
watching this. Uh, just another quick side note uh, again about I think this is Travolta at the height of his celebrity um, because I was trying to think of another year that any actor had that they had uh, starring actor three films in one year that made over $100 million and I could only think of Keanu Reeves in the year with the two Matrix sequels and the Jack Nicholson, Diane Keaton, something's got to give. As good as it gets? As good, uh, no. One or the two, something's going to give? Something's got to give, sorry. Something's got to give. Yeah, those were all one year, and it seems to me Channing Tatum, the year he did G.I. Joe, and he had, was it The Vow and something else? But I can't think, short of maybe some MCU actors, if there were three films, I can't think of another instance where one actor had three huge films released in in one year and those being broken arrow and then phenomenon and michael which were dramas so they're michael not even like what's a group <laughs> is michael an uncut gem let's just i never saw michael and i totally oh, forget phenomenon oh no <laughs> so anyway i just wanted to throw that out there like i'm really appreciating this this era of uh john travolta i think he's he's great and of course get shorty in pulp fiction uh before but uh, and then we get into some other good stuff with with him next week with uh face off yeah. but uh at any rate yeah broken arrow i think it's really fun uh, you know i think there's i can see why this doesn't necessarily land with an audience in a way that it stays in the public consciousness for a, a long time. It doesn't really necessarily have that that hook. But yes, the more we talk about this being a Western, I even made a note. Is this Wu showing his Western? Yeah, I think this that's totally what this is. And it's complete, you know, fun. And I think that Wu is exploring all kinds of these things when he has a budget to do it. Like he's exploring, uh, you know, some CGI at the time and more stunts and more set piece and he's bringing his style to it and it totally totally works the character stuff here isn't necessarily the greatest but doesn't have to be this is a really strong film there you go by the way michael has completely negative uh, reviews because it's an unfunny comedy it's because it's about a, a fat angel it just comes comes down from heaven it's great yeah. <laughs> we should do this one day if, if we ever decide to just like do a, i don't know a few films with travolta just <laughs> the forgotten travolta travolta man <laughs> on like i don't know theme, theme a few episodes around they sort of like I, iconic uh was it like you, you know you could pair it up with some like stop or my mum will shoot with just stallone's kind of just terrible uh terrible sort of yeah. acting choices right <laughs> anyway for me it's a woe not a boo <laughs> It's a great film. I don't know. I like it even more. I might, I might as well, might, might as well even write something about it. I don't care. This is gonna be, this is gonna be amazing. It's a film about big dicks, exploding <laughs> dicks, and then hammy performances and Christian Slater being, being Tom Cruise you can afford. And then you know, <laughs> it's just great. It's a spaghetti western without the spaghetti. Uh, I I like it. It's a samurai film. It's it's a it's ballet, not a single dove, but it's a ballet. I don't care. John Woo is great. I don't know. It's it's fine. It's great. It's awesome. Go watch it. It's on Disney Plus. <laughs> it is on Disney Plus. Because <laughs> it's Fox, baby. Anyway, hey. I think it's time transition to our top threes and bottom three moments from Broken Arrow. Cordero, how about you tell us what your top three moments? Or if you have honorable mentions, go nuts. All right. I I actually, you know, I I tried to be reserved 
weeks last time I was on, we all had very similar favorites. I was like, I'm going to be different this time. So Go nuts. Be, be different. Be you. So, be the uh, best you. <laughs> will. So the opening shot, boxing match. I mean, it's we've talked about it. We, we've gone over it. But it's a cool way to open the movie. It's a cool way to introduce, like, the... I don't know the chemistry between the characters and kind of their their struggle and their dynamics, and plus it 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 has pay, it pays off later, pretty well. And I'm a I'm a sucker for cheesy boxing, and that delivers. So oh, number one, like Black Dahlia. Ooh, yeah. I, sh- I I haven't seen that in a long time. I should really sit down and rewatch it. No, don't rush. Oh, I mean, <laughs> no, go go and rewatch. Listen to our conversation about this, and then decide for yourself whether whether we bashed this one for no good reason. <laughs> yes, let us know if you were wrong. <laughs> um, all right, number two. Uh, I I was gonna I was gonna do a John Travolta impression, but Jacob's just been killing it. So no, no please do, please do. Just I don't want to be alone here. <laughs> I, I said, God damn, what a rush! I don't know, it's probably bad. Snap, but... nice. No, good. Say, no, God yeah. damn, that's great. Yeah, oh. Right after blowing up a nuke in a mine, it's just, it's perfect. It, it put a big smile on my face, made me laugh. And I, it was, yeah, I was really enjoying the movie up until that point, but that was where it just, yeah, I was just like, this is a John Woo movie. Like it, it encapsulates the, the corniness and cheesiness of what Woo does. I mean, he blows up a nuke and then John Travolta just has this hammy line. It's perfect. Um, and then uh, my last favorite scene I actually threw this on uh, again to, for preparation, so I rewatched that that jet kind of a trail sequence, and I loved it. That second time I watched it, I thought it was so good. Um, like it, it's it's cheesy and it's it's overdone in all the right ways. Like the zoom ins on the eyes, like it's just perfect. <laughs> it's it's biblical. There's like a choir the playing music. Oh, it's, it's great. Yeah. I'm just amazing like i watched this movie with a boner like i'm not even kidding <laughs> this is, this is right nicolo's eyes so big right now that's shocking fear <laughs> broken arrow so like this word of warning like if if we ever like end up in one room together and then just like let's put broken arrow on like no because this is going to get awkward <laughs> real quick. Double feature of Broken Arrow and Crimson Tide. <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> Dangerous. Jacob's, fist, Jacob's fisting himself now. What is happening? <laughs> Jesus. It's crim- crim- also, Hans Zimmer's score, by the way, in there. Like, apart from the sort of the, the, uh, the Western, the Unimoric kind of thing, he's still in the sort of the. Uh, yeah, the Pirates of the Caribbean mm. sort of Crimson Tide. So, it's great. The and the the horns. The oh oh yes, I want to listen to the music after we're done in here. Oh, this is gonna be great. You're gonna go to hit the gym with the music. Cover myself in KY jelly and listen to the hands. That score shows up in in Scream too, right? I kept seeing. Yeah, that's that's insane. And Scream yeah, Two as well, doesn't it? I think. In, in Scream Two, and actually, it was then re- renamed as the 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 Rope Dope. Bit of music that's in the very beginning of the film. Like you see this sort of zoom in onto the ring, which is a beautiful shot. So good. This is then re- renamed as Dewey Steam, I think. In Scream Two, so it, it's almost like I would I would want to ask Hans Zimmer just why. <laughs> Because he can. Because I'm not sure who did the music for Scream 2. I don't think it was Zimmer. It was... 
Or was it? Zimmer ways. Zimmer scores twenty five percent of movies. <laughs> it's True from enough. Hollywood. It's You're not wrong there. Yeah. Danny Helfman Mar- and Dan uh, Zimmer. Uh, Scream two. Marco Beltrami. Oh wow. Who's? I don't want to say that Marco because I'm, I'm not for sure. But I have a feeling that Marco Beltrami is one of those guys who worked for Hans Zimmer in his sort of music company. Hmm. Oh, he studied under Jerry Goldsmith as well. Hmm. Faculty, Screen 3, yes. Or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Don't quote me I on like this. Marco anyway. Beltrami. Hmm? I like him. I remember one day, one time I, I, I name-dropped Marco Beltrami and Jack was like, who the fuck is Marco Beltrami? <laughs> 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 anyway, was a disappointment. Who wants to go next yeah. with their top threes? I will. I I also had as an honorable mention just the business of uh, Travolta turning evil in the cockpit with the choir music and the close for the eyes. So, that's, so yeah, good, good call. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will go with another honorable mention: the flare and the gas tank trick. I thought that was a great touch. With uh, Slater in the back of the Humvee and just get a bit of duct tape and a flare and a little gas tank. Very effective. Um, Okay, my number three, the slow motion helicopter crash. So Slater takes out the chopper with the shot. Like it's, yeah, this is another indicator that is, you know, this is not a realistic movie at all. However, he takes out the chopper with just one or two shots and you get the zooms and the close-ups and the slow-mo and it's just really, really great. And you get the sense that Wu is doing stuff that he doesn't normally get to do in his in his career, like, you know, pull down massive... How is it vehicles. unrealistic? Like, you sh- he shoots the, the the pilot. Like, that's how you take down the chopper, just shoot the fucker who, who, who drives it. <laughs> I, well, I guess if he's a great shot, he can do it. <laughs> it's a great scene, by the way, because it's just it like, is. you can see... Through his, like the gun barrel, almost like Michael Mann type. type. I mean, it's yep. John Wool type. And the way these helicopters crash too, with the tail coming down and the tail rotor <laughs> creating its own damage, and the the rotors smashing in slow mo. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so that's my number three. Number two. What is my? Oh yes, the just the. It's a very simple moment, but whenever Slater and Mathis they're on the top of the train and someone's pointing the gun at them and Slater slowly puts his gun down and he grabs the pistol from uh, Mathis's back yes. and drops down and shoots between her legs. Just such a great, you know, woo gunplay. Love that moment. And number one, just in general, John Travolta's weird yet awesome bravura. I love Travolta, his slow-mo, his entrance. We talked about that over the ridge. Um, and then you get some of these, you know, just some of these great lines like the hush, hush. And would you mind, <laughs> would you mind not shooting at the thermonuclear weapons? So just great. And he's got this great, I've never really seen it in any other performance anywhere, this great finger acting with his smokes yes. where his just these accentuated finger motions just to. He loves his, using his hands. Yeah, it's fantastic. As we'll see next it's week. So weird and wild and small yet big. It's just, it's a great moment. Another great '90s villain right here, John Travolta. There you go, Nick. Top three. Top three. It's actually gonna be hard because so many of them are already fake. 
Go to go, go top seven if you need to. No, no, no. There will be repetitions probably. Um, but number three, I like the sparing match in the opening. Again, like uh, our boy Roger Ebert might say, it's a bit too talky. Uh, the whole film, but I, I do like the conversation that they're having during it, and you know, like the the boxing. It's the rope open. It's like ah, I watch Bruce Lee movies and. It's just pam pam, and then the talking afterwards. I I think it's a very strong opening. It's it just hooks you up, hooks you in, even though it's not going to be a boxing film. But whatever, <laughs> you know, it's fine. Uh, number two, I really like like every time you have two different vehicles in the same shot, it's impressive to me. And so the whole attack, like when Christians later arrives on the train by helicopter, it's like mm, oh. Helicopters love them, love them, and there's a shootout, and Travolta gets winged. It's just, it's so, it's so chaotic, fun, beautiful, like sparks flying everywhere, wood breaking into a million pieces in the air. I, I could live in those moments of just, of just chaos. Love it, but number, like number one, it's the whole John Travolta death. <laughs> of all the go. like. Of all the parts in the film, like that's stuck, that stuck with me over four years. It's the dummy, you know. The dummy can be fun. People made fun of the dummy, but I just like it. I, I, I like the way that he just accepts his death. If you want to use it as a comparison to the end of our Target, where he's kind of like, "I'm going to stuff the bomb," haha! Oh, whoops! And he just blows up, and that's the end of Lance Henriksen. In here, like John Travolta just stands up and just stares down with a smile. <laughs> the missile just about to pierce him. Ah, beautiful, beautiful moment. Inspiring, I'd even say. Speaking of talky villains, Lance Henriksen and Hard Target also just like, you could have gone home and whatever, but you something like Jesus, like just get 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 through it. Like I know you you have to still load this one bullet because you have the stupidest gun in the world. But hey, like he's also got spends like five minutes like outlining why this is a failure or something. <laughs> anyway, and it's still not enough. Could have been twenty minutes more of just Lance Erickson screaming, John Travolta berate, berating his team. You know. I okay. I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Okay, uh... honorable mention. Give these boys a little haircut. <laughs> And then just the helicopter just swoops in and just fucking takes these people out. And Delroy Windows like, fuck yeah. Just and this one guy goes like, ah oh, shit, duck. And then the other guy's like, what? <laughs> Great, I love it. Um, num number okay, number three, the tail rotor stunt slash tail rotor kick. So there's the whole tail rotor just like swooping in, and just the Christian Slater and Samantha Mattis are like hiding under a rock, and they're like, fuck, this thing's for real. Uh, and then, that, you know, there's the sort of tail rotor kick when they just kick the thing and just like, kick the gun out of the guy's hands. Very nice. Number two, the shockwave. Just the idea of a shockwave that just travels. It's very slow. This wouldn't happen in real life. But just I, how they did it is just beyond me. It's just great. And it's sort of like, I said, God damn, what a rush. It's great. <clears throat> But the number one is just Travolta in general. This is the cheat. Just John Travolta is my number one. And then it's just this sort of night, night, honey. Goddamn, what rush! Ain't it cool, man? Like, would you mind not shooting at the thermonuclear weapons? <laughs> it's just yeah, like it's just, and the way he holds a cigarette, like you know, he just like he just fucking cool. Like I could see 
Tarantino getting off on this? Like, this is cool. Like, he's just oozing back. He's oozing <laughs> cool. <laughs> he's just bursting to flame. He's just cool. Ain't, ain't he cool, man? He's just great. It's just, you know. I also had an honorable mention with the, you know, Stop Hammer Time, but we talked about this anyway. But then John Travolta is just the greatest. <sighs> Agreed. I need a cigarette now because I think I had Absolutely. an orgasm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom threes. <laughs> Cordero, lead the way. All right, so I didn't really have a lot of least favorite scenes, so I'm going to be a little nitpicky coming up with these, but, you know, whatever. So in the mine, we get 13 minutes to detonate, right, when he sets it when he sets it off. And then I swear it's like 20 minutes later, it's down to six minutes. And then <laughs> like two or three minutes later, it's down to one minute. And God, it's just it's, slow mode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's funny because they they do that kind of same thing. They they reflect it again on the train at the end of the movie, and that feels so clean in comparison. Mm. Like it just, I and I think it's just the, I, I don't know the way they did it. The pacing for that it just feels very off to me. Because you can't, but like, I, they, they, no one can die, right? Because it's the middle of the film. It's just boom, everyone's gone now. <laughs> Roll credits, it's, right? It's, it's a very bold thing to suddenly have a nuke and arm it for 13 minutes, <laughs> like 45 minutes into a movie. You gotta love it. Uh, if it would it be better if the bomb actually had like a voice uh, generator and then that actually explains or just makes it a bit more sort of clear that how the bomb, you know, uh, counts down is not just 20 minutes or like 11:59, It's just 10 Mississippi. Nine Mississippi, eight Mississippi. It makes more sense. Now twenty minutes is an hour. There you go. <laughs> I solved it. Sorry, it can't be on the <laughs> <laughs> um, And then I, I have to say uh, that Samantha Mantis could have gotten out of that boat. You know, she she had enough time. I would argue it took her more time to get under a tarp and lay down in the corner. <laughs> than to just fall off into the water, I thought that was pretty pretty funny. Because <laughs> she doesn't listen. <laughs> exactly, she just doesn't listen. Even even Christian Slater it takes him a little. It's it's really funny. After that, she he's says, like, "Where did she go? Get out of the boat!" And then she's like, "You're not the boss of me." Yeah, yeah. Even Christian Slater like gets out of the water and he's like looking around for. Her. I'm like, "You were in the water. You would have noticed somebody like." Come in the water by you, wouldn't you? Whatever. The nitpicking, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and then uh, the, the last one I have is it's it's less of a least favorite scene and more something I thought was was lacking is in, in a lot of the Wu movies I've, I've watched, he kind of he takes a moment. And in the that moment, there's, I don't know, it's, 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 it almost feels like spiritual the way he builds like the mood or the atmosphere. There's just like a nice calm moment that i don't know it, it, it's normally just it, it's very pleasing it's very calming and it's it, it adds a flair to his films and it, there are elements to that here but it's not really present and i think that that goes back to this is an inertia driven a momentum driven movie we don't necessarily need that but i will say that it like it i was sad that i didn't get that kind of uh, Chow Yun Fat plays jazz or a harmonica, <laughs> you know. 
would have been nice. Like if Christian Slater whistled at one point, I'd be I'd be satisfied. And just like freeze frame, broken arrow, roll credits. It's great. That's all I need. It's done. <laughs> Who's next? I can go. Randy. I will start with. I will start with a dishonorable mention, just a mini ugly, and largely sort of like Cordero. This is all small stuff. I don't really have any major gripes with this. Um, you know, not that I can sort of stick one one pin in. So I'm going to go with some small stuff here. I'll I'll mention Slater steps in some rare dirt. I think it's called cryptogamic soil, and oh, great, endangered dirt. And I thought that was going to lead to something later in some sort of weird way but it was just sort of a weird moment i wonder i would wonder if in the larger cut of this if there's something special about the dirt that ends up being used in a scene you know i just thought it was sort of weird and needless that it that it survived the cut as it doesn't really do anything it feels like it's foreshadowing for something um number three i'll go with the the twenty dollar money motif i i just i've I felt that didn't really work for me, just sort of chasing around this this $20. Like, I think the uh, relationship for what it is is established well enough. Now, after our chat, I'm wondering more if maybe it is a physical, further physical motif to, um, you know, a few dollars more or more of a, a Western thing. Um, but even still, the, the $20 itself, changing hands and going back and forth, didn't do a whole lot for me. That's just the relationship between Slater and Travolta as frenemies didn't. Uh, number two in the train car at the at the end um oh yes okay so whenever christian slater shows up travolta and howie long they start receiving a flurry of bullets so they quickly just spin around and and sit take cover behind the wall and they don't lie down or anything just backs up against the wall but the the wall is just these very thin slats and <laughs> might as well be a picket fence. So I didn't really buy that they were getting too much cover by the way they were hiding behind the, the walls of this particular train car. Um, and then the, the bottom for me, again, it's a nitpick, but there's a scene where Christian Slater falls off a Humvee and he's running to catch up to the Humvee that he fell off of and John Travolta's Hummer is coming up behind him and Slater somehow manages to catch up to the Humvee. And I, I sort of understood that they were, you know, going faster than, you know, 15 kilometers an hour. Well, a Humvee <laughs> is not a sports car, okay? <laughs> it's a V16 engine that's not exactly made for acceleration. It's meant for pulling power. Okay, so I, it just I still him down and he just... But nothing happens. like a Land Rover from 2005. It's just like... All we're doing is just burning diesel. <laughs> I think this is still a movie about speed and momentum, and I was under the complete impression that we were going more than 12 or 15 kilometers an hour. It's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. True. Yeah, well, true. I, and I'm also scraping the bottom of the barrel here, and like this, I had such a fun time with this movie, I'm not coming up with too much serious dirt. <laughs> now, let's get to the real bottoms, Niccolo, because you really hate this film, don't you? I, I've never said I hate this film. I'm taking my words and in, in shaking them. In my eyes, them. you hate this film. <laughs> You're the Roger Ebert of positively liking this film. Um, I'm the anti-Roger, sir. <laughs> the anti-Roger. It's like the anti-matter. Number three. There's this weird effect. The nuclear bomb explodes. 
and they add this very weird effect where they like squish the aspect ratio <laughs> of the images, which was just absolutely like ugly, just utterly ugly. I had to rewind the moment. I was like, is, did they actually do that? I was like, yeah. That's the effect so for powerful the that it squished the aspect ratio. You know, <laughs> it shook it film itself. It's like this film waves. Like the the guy slaps this woman. That just like the aspect ratio changed. <laughs> <laughs> I like waves. Um, anyway, number two. It's right after the the explosion of the of the nuclear bomb, where Samantha Mathis just she's she's so cold from fear. And, and Christian Slater just starts hugging her. It's like, gotta get you warm. <laughs> just starts like aggressively sh- <laughs> crushing her. It's like, man, slow down, slow down. You're trying too hard. Slow down, you know. Time, everything everything good will come, you know. What did you want? It's like, come here, baby. <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> An excuse is good for him, I guess. You know, he's been lonely for a long time. But number one, it's the lack of doves. I got like 25 minutes into the film. I was like, "Huh, I don't, I don't think there's gonna be doves in this film. I don't remember them." I got to the ending. No doves. No pigeons. No seagulls. No vultures. Just butterflies. butterflies. Small, ugly, shameful butterflies. I wanted doves. I wanted glory. I wanted symbolism that wasn't just phallic symbols for Jakob's amusement. <laughs> I wanted doves. Damn it. And I was denied them. So, is 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 your love for uh, for John Woo film sort of directly proportional to the amount of doves? And this is explains why you say Hard Target isn't my favorite John Woo film because the doves are ex- replaced by pigeons. I mean, maybe the killer is my number one, and that has plenty of pigeons. So you know. So, for uh, did you already log it on Letterboxd? Which one? No, uh, Broken Arrow. I did, yeah. Can you please change your review to no dove, no love? <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I rewatch it, I will. I can add the line, actually. This, is, this has to be there. Oh, boy. The real question is, what are you going to pick? For oh, I've got plenty. Worst moments? I've, got, oh, my. I've, got, I've got plenty. It's mostly small stuff. CGI on the clouds. Just like they, they pulled this, the release for two months to, to make sure that this looks like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've got the yeah the sad. I've got plenty of like a few s- small uglies. I've got the um, how the Slater grabs the remote and takes for fucking ever to press one. But I'm reading my note. Slater grabs the remote and takes for fucking ever to press one button. Of course, it's just like <gasps> I was just. You have to press cancel. It says cancel and just fucking press it. Just now. Okay, but uh, but we're in a John Woo film. I can excuse this. Don't worry. It's still a five five star film. Anyway, uh, the satellite dish that the guy just takes apart with his machine gun is, I think it's made of ice cream because there's like this u- yellow urate- polyurethane foam inside. Like this is not a real t- satellite dish. This is ridiculous. So these are my many uglies. Okay, and big uglies. The whole Pentagon scene where they're just like, um, you know, well we have a press release. This this is not a this is an earthquake or something. Oh no, no, this never happened. And then Giles Prentice goes like, excuse me, <laughs> we need to tell the truth here. And then everyone's like, how did you get this job? And then, <laughs> but then the fallout from it is just like, he takes him aside and he's like, we're going to do what you want. I'm like, what? Why? What's going on? Like, what? 
this this honestly feels like this is like you know uh austin powers international man of mystery sort of the the, the level of competence <laughs> these people uh number two where giles prentice admits he was a lieutenant in the boy scouts that he went to and then and then everyone's like, "Good for you, Lieutenant." I mean, I, that, that's a good comedic line from Slater. But then, I get, then cuts to when they're just planning their mission, and then Giles Prentice even feels like he's part of the military. He's like, "I wish I was going with you guys." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> like he's just this veteran who just yearns for battle. Like, what the hell? Uh, but the the number one is. The two moments that, that I just call, we got ourselves a standoff self-awareness. <laughs> it's just like, if you want to do a standoff, just do a standoff. But it seems like someone's written this with a sort of expressed knowledge. I'm writing, for, I'm rewriting this for John Woo. So let's do this sort of standoff. Like, I think we have a standoff. Well, I have the gun. It's not loaded. Nah. So <laughs> it's supposed to be self-aware and funny. And I don't like this being self-aware. I'd like this to be serious. And then therefore corny. Okay. Same goes for this. Uh, we got ourselves a standoff, and he shoots him in the foot or in the car. It's just great. But then the idea of the self self awareness bothers me, and I don't like it. I like, I I I don't want to say like John Travolta to wink at me. It's just like, by the way, I'm humming this up for the camera right now. I want him to be like Randall, Randall, pick Van Cleef. <laughs> you know, like you want. I want him to take this seriously. I got paid, and I and, and I really want to make this the work of my life. Okay, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's me. That's my bottom three, and and then four mini uglies. Anyway, we've done it. Broken Arrow can be watched on Disney Plus. I think everywhere. I hope. I'm not sure if it's in America on Disney Plus because America is probably on Hulu, right? No. Maybe. Or somewhere like that. Anyway, but it still has. I don't know if you can check <laughs> because I think everywhere else is on Disney Plus on Disney Star. Actually, that's what it is. Uh. Anyway. Also available on physical media, so you can watch it there. And then strongly encourage you to watch it whichever way you please, because it's a great film, despite of despite what Niccolo could possibly tell you, because he hates this film. <laughs> it is known. <laughs> anyway, so we've done it. I think we've we've done this movie justice. Uh, where can we find you all on social media, and where can we find your stuff? So Cordero, where can we find you? Right now, you can find me on Letterbox. Um... I review movies on the review movie site in case you didn't know. Uh, and it, my name is OCD Mez and that's it for me. There you go. Uh, Randy. You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7 and you can find the occasional essay that I do on clapperltd.co.uk. Awesome. Nick? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at nikigra 97 and there you can find my Linktree, Linktree forward slash Enjoy the Movies, with links to my YouTube, Vimeo, and all the other socials. You can watch my new short film, Summer Reverie, which is out now on YouTube and Vimeo. And you can also listen to the Death by Adaptation podcast, where Jakub joined us uh, this Sunday, I think it's coming out. Yes, Jakub joined us to talk about... Fight Club, so that's, that's stay tuned for that conversation. <laughs> Put a gun to my head and paint the walls with my brains. Come on, I just Chuck Palahniuk thought of the day. Because you know, it's about it's a film for men about men with men. 
men. <laughs> just, anyway, do be men. I'm, I'm high on my Travolta. He's a real <laughs> man, okay? Anyway, you can find me, talk about film Twitter, Jakub Flash Letterbox. You can find myself, flashonfilm.com, crapartd.co.uk. You can also follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere, which is all social media. Uh, TikTok, <laughs> I can't do this with a straight face every week. TikTok, Instagram, fa- Facebook, Twitter. UncutDreamsPodcast.com is our headquarters where you can go and browse all our shit and look at all the f- shows that we've done, which also includes our bonus shows that w- are also available on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash UncutDreamsPod, three bucks a month. Supporting the show opens access to extra breadth of uh, of extra podcasts, extra a lot of extra in the same sentence. <sighs> Idiot. Anyway, uh, so go and subscribe and help us out. If you don't wish to subscribe to our Patreon and pay every month three bucks from your uh, of your hard-earned dinero because cost of living crisis and whatnot, you can always buy us a coffee, one of donation, and support the show that way. And if you don't feel like spending money, which I totally understand, but I'm not necessarily approve of, you can always leave us a, leave us a review uh, or a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. So I don't know where you're listening to your podcast. If you, if you can re- leave a star, star rating, just do it. Um, unless it's a one-star review and keep it to yourself then. Um, but, you know, <laughs> also get in touch, uncutgemspod at gmail.com or uncutgemspodcast.com slash contact if you want to talk about uh, anything that we've done or ask us a question, do whatever, just get in touch. We we love when, when people get in touch. Uh, and that's it. So I think we've done it. So stay tuned to next week because August will continue and we'll be talking about face off baby so get ready for some more Travolta and um, possibly Nicolas Cage impressions um, I'll, I'll see I'll see what I can do and in the meantime I hope you have a fabulous day we'll catch you on the flip side ain't it cool man yeah. <laughs>